fun morning. Happy Easter. Happy a couple. Okay, so there's a, there's a bit of a, a tradition, if you're not aware of it, in, in the Christian church at least, I say happy, or I say he is risen and you say he is risen indeed. So let's give that a shot, okay? He is risen. Yeah, you guys know the tradition. Okay, okay, I'm not teaching you anything new. <laughs> well, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. It's such a fun morning. It's a fun morning to be here, uh, and it's exciting. Uh, so if you're a first-time guest here at Grace Chapel, I'd like to say welcome welcome to you. I'm glad you're here. I'd love to meet you after the service. And if you're a first-time guest that was drugged here by someone that promised you free food, no shame. No shame in that. I've done some crazy stuff for free food, so I'm glad you're here too. Um, if you've been coming here most of your adult life, welcome. I'm glad you made it out. Um, it's so great to be here. You know, Easter is one of these things that it's a big deal. And, and I'm sure there are a lot of pastors across the country and the world right now that are pretty excited about Easter. And you go, well, the pastor's kind of supposed to be excited about Easter. It's kind of a thing, right? Pastors get excited about Easter. Well, there's a reason. There's a reason why pastors get excited and there's a reason why people get excited about Easter. And maybe you thought about it this way and maybe you haven't. But let me say it this way. Without Easter, we don't have Christianity. Without Easter, we don't have faith. So if Jesus said he was going to die on the cross for our sins and rise again on the third day and didn't pull it off, we got nothing to talk about. We might as well just all go out and flood the restaurants early this morning and get some good food. In fact, I need to go home and have some serious thoughts and discussions about my career choice, right? Without Easter, Christianity begins to unravel very, very quickly. And there's a reason for that. It's because Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man can enter the Father but by me. And he died on the cross and he rose again and beat death for us. Without the beating the death part, we got nothing. So that's why I'm excited about Easter. I'm excited you're here. And I would like to start our uh, message this morning with prayer. So would you bow with me? Lord Jesus, thank you for the opportunity that we have to be here this morning. Lord, the sun is bright. The birds are chirping. And God, I'm happy. And I'm happy because of what you have done in my life and what you've done for the world. So Lord, as we look at your scripture, your words today. I ask that you would speak through me, that you would get me out of the way long enough to speak to these people, because God, I believe you have a message for them, and I want that message to sink into their hearts. We love you, Jesus. We love you for, for loving us first. We love you for coming, for walking among us, for dying on the cross and rising again on the third day. Thank you for being here with us. I ask that you would move us in this, in this service. In your name, amen. Amen. Well, as I began to prepare for the message, uh, for Easter message, you know, it kind of gets a little repetitive saying the same thing every year. It doesn't matter. It's still just as fun. But the thing that I kept thinking about, I kept coming to back over and over again was fear. And I know that's kind of a morbid thought to think about on Easter, but I thought about how fear influences us and how fear has influenced my life throughout my life. Now, that might sound shocking to you, but let me, let me put it this way. When I was in my early 20s, at least now, I don't remember being afraid of anything. Is that true with you guys? When you were in your early 20s, were you afraid of anything? I can't remember anything I was afraid of in my early 20s. I just got married. My wife and I were happy. We didn't have kids. I just let that sink in for a second. The freedom and excitement, and we would go on hikes, and we would do these trips, and it was just wonderful. And I can remember where I was 
I was on a hiking trail in uh, Estes Park, Colorado, and my wife was behind me, and we were hiking up a mountain, and I heard these words. I'll never forget these words. Hey, honey. That's what she says when she really wants me to listen. Hey, honey. I think I'm ready to start having kids. And I stopped on the trail, and all of a sudden, I began to realize the fears that can overtake a man. <laughs> I was shocked. I couldn't believe it. And we talked and we talked and we talked and we prayed and we prayed and we prayed and we said, yes, we feel like God is moving us to have a family. And everything was okay. You know, it's like for preparation. And I'm a big prepper, right? So I'm preparing and preparing and preparing. Nothing prepared me for the day that I put my baby little girl into a car seat for the first time at the hospital. A miraculous birth happened. It was wonderful. Everybody's healthy. This, this pink little bundle of joy that's like so delicate. I immediately was afraid I'm going to drop her, you know? So I'm like kind of like, they're like, no, it's okay. You're not going to break her. And I'm like, no, I think I will. I think I will. I put her into this car seat and I'm worried about the, the straps cutting into her neck. And they want you to buckle these huge straps and buckles and you yank and get it tight. And there's, you know, the fear is starting to overtake me. And as I get into the car and I'm driving home, begin to realize I'm responsible for another person. Oh, my gosh, the ways I could screw this up. And I began thinking about um, everything. I thought about college on the way home from the, from the hospital. I'm like, what, what happens, honey, if she, if she picks a degree and she doesn't like it and she changes and then it ruins everything? What happens if that happens? Jen's like, calm down, buddy. In fact, she said, calm down, you're doing 30 miles an hour on the interstate. Like, just be normal. I think this is true, even, even though it's funny. I think it's true that the older we get, the more realization we have. We start to understand how life can go so wrong so fast. And I'm only in my late 30s. In fact, I have one more year of being in my 30s. And, and I've already started to realize that as you live, you start to understand what can go wrong. And the fear at times grips me. And it makes me, it influences me, and it helps, and it, and it, and it uh, influences my decisions and the things that I choose and the things that I do. And that's interesting. So why in the world would this crazy pastor be talking about fear on Easter morning? Well, here's the thing. I think God knew about this. I think God knew ahead of time that life would be incredibly difficult. For some, it seems like they just skate through. But for most of us, it's hard. And you lay awake at night wondering what would happen if you had said that instead of this or done this instead of that. And you think about life and how wrong it can go and how much pain there is. I think God knew that. I think he knew that before time began. And I think he knew that we would have a hard time with it. So God did two things. The first thing we've already sung about, we've already talked about. God knew that we are going to need a way to relate to the Father. Sin entered the world and ruined everything. And we make bad choice after bad choice after bad choice. And the Father is so holy that he has to have a connection to us. And we can't approach him the way that we are. And so God and, and, and Jesus together, I think, concocted a plan before time began. And said, okay, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to show my true character and how much I love these people by sending my only son to die on a cross for their sin. And he's not going to stay dead. He's going to beat death for them. He's even going to beat death for them. And he's going to rise again on the third day. 
And I think he told Jesus, when people ask you why, you tell them because I love them. So that's the gift of salvation. And it's Easter. I get to talk about this all morning. It's going to be great. The second thing he did, I think God knew that the further away from this event we get in time, that it's going to be harder and harder to believe it actually happened. I think that that's true. And so I think a lot of people today go, you know, that was 2,000 plus years ago, really? I mean, could you really say that Jesus actually, I believe he was a good teacher. People say that. I believe he was a good teacher. But did he really die and then beat death? Like, has that even ever happened? And so this is what God did. He said, okay, Jesus, when you pick your followers, you pick people that will record what happened. We're talking eyewitnesses. Record what happened, write it down carefully. I will help them get it accurate. So these, this scripture that we have is without error. And so then when Josh is struggling with his baby girl going to college one day, he can actually open the scripture and he can read my words. And that'll give him courage. That'll give him hope. And that's what he did. And that's what we get to do this morning. We get to look at a story. And it's a short story. But it's about a man named Peter. You didn't think I was going to say that, did you? No. We're going to look at Peter this morning. Peter was one of Jesus' 12 disciples. Peter was this rough and tough fisherman, probably really hairy, right? Like you kind of see this guy, he's like can take the cold. He's out on the ship all day in the seawater, and he's rough and tough. In fact, he's so rough and tough that Jesus nicknamed him Son of Thunder. He and his brother were the Sons of Thunder. Anybody that's called Son of Thunder makes you want to wonder about him. Peter did everything first. Sometimes that's really good. Sometimes that's really bad. Peter was the only other person on the planet to have walked on water until he was overwhelmed by the raging waves and he began to sink. Peter always had a statement or a comment that he would throw out. He at one time tried to rebuke Jesus, believe it or not. Can you, anybody else try to rebuke Jesus that believed in him? And so we get to pick up the story of Peter right at the Last Supper. And Jesus, Jesus is teaching his disciples. So if, if you want to turn with me, I'm going to put the words up, or Dwayne, thank you, Dwayne. He's going to put the words up in the back for us. Um, but we're going to pick this story up in John chapter 13. Now, the reason why this part of the story is so important is this is Jesus' last night with his followers. So if you knew you were going to die tomorrow, and you had all the people that were dear to you in this life around you, how important would that meal be? <laughs> That's Jesus' meal with his disciples. And Jesus is teaching them all kinds of things. And, and one of Jesus' followers, John, is recording what Jesus is saying. So that's how we can read it. And Jesus is teaching them amazing truths and difficult things to understand. This is his last shot at getting these disciples to go spread the word to the world after Jesus rises from the grave and ascends to the Father. So John chapter 13, Jesus says this crazy thing, where I am going, you cannot come. And this, this piques Peter's curiosity. And being a son of thunder that he is, he blurts out this in verse 37. Peter asks, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Whoa. Everybody at the table kind of goes, whoa, what? And Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And that shut Peter down pretty hard. 
he's probably had a huge beard on his face, but, but the redness, you know, creeps in. He's embarrassed. He was called out by the teacher. And the rest of the disciples, I can imagine, kind of eyeing each other like, did you just, did you just see what just happened there? Peter said he's going to die for Jesus, and Jesus said, no, you're actually going to disown me. They remembered this. I don't think John had any problems with that details of the story. And so if we fast forward a little bit, Jesus finishes all the things that he's going to teach his disciples that night. He goes into the Garden of Gethsemane to pray, and the soldiers show up early, early in the morning to arrest him. And you can imagine what happens when a rabbi gets arrested. His followers, poof, they disperse, right? There's a little bit of a skirmish, but Peter is following behind Jesus and the soldiers as they go into the high priest's house to start the trial. And so Peter creeps up, and there's a fire burning in the courtyard. And one of the women that were there working says this, John 18, verse 17. She says, you aren't one of the man's disciples too, are you? She asked Peter. And he replied, I'm not. That's not me. Must be mistaken for somebody else. You can feel the pain in Peter's heart. He's followed this guy for three years. He's believed every word he said, even though he doesn't understand it sometimes. He's walked on water. He's seen miracle after miracle after miracle. And she says, are you associated with him? And he said, no, 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 that's not me. Fast forward to verse 25. Meanwhile, Simon Peter, son of thunder, was still standing there warming himself. So they asked him, you are one of his disciples too, are you? And he denied it, saying, I'm not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, that was the skirmish, challenged him. Didn't I see you with him in the garden? And again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, a rooster began to crow. And all of the words sink down deep in Peter's heart. And he remembers Jesus saying, you will deny me three times. One other gospel records that, Jesus, or that Peter went out and wept bitterly. He knows what he did. He boasted that he would die for Jesus. And Jesus says, no, actually, you're going to deny me three times. And then it happens. See, the interesting thing is that we, have, we are forced with choices in life. And the, and the choice of survival seems to come up over and over and over. Can we survive? Can we survive? Can I survive this? Can I survive babies? <laughs> Can I survive young children? Can I survive a family? And guys, the, the, right now they outnumber us, so I, I can't let them see fear. They, they take over. These are the things that I think about. If I make this choice, what happens to my family? If I make that choice, what happens to our future? And these Fears overwhelm. It can overwhelm. And I can imagine Peter standing there the first time that woman looked at him and said, you're not one of his disciples too. And he has his choices laid out in front of him. And his choices are pretty simple, really. He could actually see, they think, that Jesus being tried, not too far away, it was kind of a public hearing. And he sees these choices and he says, well, it's, it's either survival or death. I think, I think I'm going to choose survival. I'm going to survive. And this is what fear does to you. It forces you to make the choice of survival. But here's the good news. See, Jesus knew that. 
God knew that that would happen. So he gave us a plan. And that's why Jesus beat death. To remove the fear from our lives. And Peter, at a distance, I can imagine tears streaming down his face because he feels so bad about what he did. And and those were the last things that he said about Jesus. And Jesus is walking to the cross. and, And Peter, at a distance, witnesses Jesus being hung on the cross, his rabbi, his teacher. And he can sense the pain and the agony. And the guilt is burrowing holes in his heart for what he's done. And he waits, and he waits, and he waits, and finally Jesus gives up his spirit and dies. Same thing happens to everybody that's crucified. They die, they take him off the cross, they take him to the tomb, and they bury him. I can imagine Peter going, I can't believe the last three years of my life were the best three years of my life, and that's how I ended it. I'm going fishing. That's what Peter did. I'm going fishing. But you might know the story. Peter's in the boat. Somebody calls to him on the shore, and he comes to shore, and it's Jesus, alive. And something happens in Peter. Something happens. He believes for the first time that Jesus conquered death. Something snaps in the son of thunder. And suddenly the nickname starts to fit. I want you to turn with me, if you will, to Acts chapter 2. Jesus meets with the 12. He reinstates Peter. He tells Peter to feed his sheep. Peter, uh, Jesus ascends, ascends into heaven. And the disciples are kind of hanging out, waiting, wondering what's going to happen next. The Holy Spirit in chapter 2 comes at Pentecost. And it moves in these men and it gives them a boldness. And everybody around is confused, and everybody's, some people are taunting the disciples for what's going on. And this is what Peter does. The guy who denied Jesus three times chose survival over the life Jesus had. Verse 14 of chapter 2. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews, and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. I can imagine the disciples going, what happened to Peter? Who's this guy? That's why Jesus has been calling him son of thunder this whole time. You had that inside you the whole time? Something happened to Peter. Something changed in him. And he shares a message, the type of message that that I would love to be able to preach. And he ends the message with this in verse 38 of chapter 2. Peter replied, repent, be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. What happened to Peter? What happened to Peter? His disciples are going, can you even believe this is happening? I remember that guy running out of the garden terrified that that he was going to be included in this. And if you go back to the first passage, 
Peter blurts out, I'll die for you. Jesus knows he will. Just not when Peter thought he was going to die. You see, the thing that happened in Peter was he saw fear at its horriblest, most powerful form, fear of death. And he chose survival. But then he witnessed something. And he witnessed the thing that we're celebrating today. He witnessed the fact that Jesus said, I will die and I will rise again. And he saw it happen. I think God gave us this story this morning so that we would know these events are not made up. They're not made up. It's like, oh, yeah, figuratively he rose from the grave. No, 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 no. You can't get the kind of transformation that happened to the disciples, especially Peter, that happened without witnessing an event like that. It had to have happened that way. See, the truth is that Peter did die for Jesus. Later in his life, he was martyred. In fact, he was crucified. And the story has it that when he heard that the, 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 the Romans were going to crucify him, he said, hang on a second, guys. I don't want any confusion about the difference between me and Jesus. I'd like to make a request. I'd like to request that I be crucified upside down. Just so everyone knows why I am the way I am. It's because he beat death. That is amazing. That is powerful. And the, the Roman government and the Jewish authorities quickly found out that you cannot intimidate people that are not afraid to die. And martyr after martyr, Christian after Christian were killed in the most heinous ways you could imagine. And it didn't seem to matter. If anything, it made the church grow. More people accepted Christ. And the Jewish leaders are going, what do we do? They're not scared of anything. You see, Jesus took away fear. And he replaced it with courage and hope. And that's what happened to Peter. And that's what can happen to you. And there were times, I'm sure, where Peter faltered, made a mistake, gave in to fear. But he was an eyewitness to Jesus rising from the grave. You see, Jesus conquered death not so that we could survive, but so that we could thrive in this life and that this life would continue on into eternity. So this is the reality this morning, and this is the thing that I want you to walk away with. Jesus conquered death so that, so that we could live a life of courage and of hope. That's the truth of this morning. That's the truth about Easter. Now we got this weird Easter bunny thing, and we got kids, you know, the eggs, and the hide. That's great, great, nothing wrong with that. But the point is that we don't have to live in fear anymore. We don't have to, we can live with courage. And that's powerful. Jesus conquered death so that we could live with courage and hope. So where does that leave us this morning? Where does that leave you, and where does that leave me? Maybe you're hearing this for the first time. Maybe you're sitting here, and, and I actually jokingly predicted what happened to you this morning, and somebody did drag you here against your better judgment in your will, and here you are. What's next? Well, I would invite you to place your trust in Jesus for the first time this morning. Easter morning is a great morning. You see, because Jesus really did die for you on the cross, and he really did beat death for your sake. 
and you really can go to heaven one day and live with him forever. And this is the gift of salvation that Jesus offers you. This is how you do it. It's not weird. It's not confusing. I won't embarrass you. I'm not going to make you raise your hand or do a dance or nothing weird, okay? This is the way you do it. You sit in your chair and you quietly, in your own mind, pray this prayer. Jesus, I know I'm lost and I know I need a Savior. Come into my life. Live through me. Give me hope, give me courage, and give me the eternal life that you've promised with you. Amen. You don't even have to say amen if you don't want to. That's the prayer. That starts your journey with Jesus. And that stops the need to live out of fear. You might say, well, Josh, that's great, but I placed my faith in Jesus some years ago. Where does that leave me? I would say, say the same prayer and maybe alter it just slightly. Jesus, move in my life. Give me courage. Give me hope for the future. And don't let me fall into the temptation of survival. I want to live the way he wants you to live. Here's the truth. If you trust Jesus more, I cannot guarantee anything other than this, if you trust Jesus more, you will receive more courage and more hope. There's all these lies out there that say, well, if you believe in Jesus, your, your addictions will be gone. You'll ma magically not be addicted to alcohol anymore, right? Or, or if, if you trust in Jesus, you know, your life is somehow going to fit together better and, 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 and you know, your, your spouse is actually going to love you more and your kids are going to be more respectful and your boss is going to think you're the greatest thing since sliced bread. That's not true. Your boss is never going to think you're the greatest thing since sliced bread. Your life doesn't get easier when you trust Jesus. In fact, arguably, it gets harder. Because now you start to live differently. And people start to wonder why. And some of those people wonder why gently. And some of those people wonder why aggressively and, and, and with, with anger. So you can't trust Jesus and get a better life. But the more you trust Jesus with your life, the more courage and hope you have, and the easier it is to resist the fear. And that's the power of the gospel this morning. So this is what I want to do. See a little white card in the front of your chair there? That's right. Early, early this morning, I put all of them in there by myself. I asked my family to do it last time, and they said, no, no, I'm kidding. Take that card out. This is what I want you to do. I want you to write three, only three, of your fears on that card. I'm not asking for your most deepest, darkest fears, okay? I don't want anybody around you to think you're weird, of course. We're not going to make anybody feel awkward. Your three fears. Pick three. And this is what I want you to do. I want you to write those fears out. Please don't sign it. And I want you to tear the card up. Tear it up as tiny as you want, or as big as you want. Write the fears, tear them up. I'm going to have the ushers come by, and they're going to pass out baskets. We're going to put them at the foot of that cross as a symbol. We're saying no to fear, and we're saying yes to courage and hope, and yes to Jesus who died and rose again. As we sing this song, we'll have the ushers come forward. Matt's still writing his fears. <laughs> 